Well, if you have a Bible, um, would you turn with me to Luke 10? Luke 10. Um, As I said last week, and I want to do a little bit of a recap from last week, but as I said last week, we spent a, quite a bit of time. We did seven series, a, a, sermon, a series of seven sermons on the whole of the book of Ezekiel, and we kind of went wide and we went uh, broad. And, uh, but for June, what I wanted us to do was to spend time looking at one passage, really. Um, and it's Luke chapter 10, and it's the first 20 uh, verses. And so let me read them with you, if you have it open. And uh, then we'll just ask ourselves, what does this say to us and how are we making sense of this for our own lives? After this, well, kind of like the rule is that when you get something like that, you've got to ask yourself, well, what was that? After this, well, what? Well, this passage um, probably began at 9.51, really. Um, some of you might not know, but uh, when the Bible was written, there weren't chapter divisions and there weren't verses. They come, came much later, and, and they were really just a device to, to help us, like on a Sunday morning here. You can imagine if you had just a book without any sort of chapter divisions or verses, and I said, I'm going to begin reading where it says, after this. It would be quite difficult for us all to be able to find that place quickly. And so what they did was they put chapter divisions in and they put verses in so we could find it quick. But when Luke was writing, he didn't go, I think this is a new verse. He was just writing sentences. And uh, so sometimes the chapter divisions work out really well. And then other times you might think, I don't know. I don't know. I think you could have probably done a better job with that chapter division. And I suspect with this you could have done. And probably chapter 9, verse 51 would have been a more natural place for a chapter division. As, uh, as the time approached for him, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. I love this next bit. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and probably sighed um, and rebuked them. It's like that, oh, you've been with me three years and you're still wanting to destroy people. Then he and the disciples went to another village. And as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And after this, so that's the context. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, and he's sending people out, and it's in a context of discipleship, really. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if the head of the house loves peace, your peace will rest on you. Uh, rest on that house, rather. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. 
for workers deserve their wages. Don't move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what's set before you. Heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. But be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they'd have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it'd be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you'll go down to the depths. Whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the moment where Jesus in a sense, scatters his disciples. This is the moment where from them, having been close to him and following around, this is the moment where he says to them, okay, it's your turn, now you go. You go and do what you see has been done. You go and act in the same sort of ways that you've seen I'm acting. It's your turn. You go. And uh, Jesus, who was aware that um, the Roman Empire was so strong and he was aware of the anxiety of Jewish authorities. And lots of the Jewish authorities said, let's not make trouble. And Jesus says, actually, you know what? This is the moment. The harvest is plentiful. And uh, he says two things. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, there's huge possibilities, Jesus says to them. So let's ask God to send people out. And then the next verse, the very next thing he says is, go, you go. It's kind of like if there was a choice between let's pray about it and you go. Which would you have gone for? But Jesus is like, pray and ask, but now you go. Sometimes it's easier to pray about stuff, isn't it, than actually go yourself. Last week, we looked at the way of mission, and I just want to recap really quickly about this idea of the 72 others who go to 36 places. In chapter 6 of Luke, what's happened is Jesus, well, I'll read it to you so that you hear it. Chapter 6, verse 12, it says this. This is sort of like really early on when Jesus is just beginning his ministry, really. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Now, I don't know who these others were, but I think it's a fair assumption that this could well have been some of those folks who were with him way back in chapter 6, but who were not chosen to be the closest apostles. I think the picture in chapter 6 is you've got a whole bunch of people. And Jesus goes, I want you, 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 12. And the rest of you, you're free to stay close to me, but 
these 12 I'm going to give a lot of time to. Now, some of us would not have reacted well to that. Some of you, when you were kids, do you remember the thing that, you know, the, the, the kid who owned the football was, if you were a boy, the kid who owned the football, I don't know if it was the same for a girl, the kid who owned the football got to choose the team. And when I was at school, anyway, in those days, what you had to do, you had to line up against the wall in the playground, and then the kid who owned the ball, who was normally the richest kid, so you kind of always had a chip on your shoulder about him anyway, um, he said, well, I'll start to choose the teams. And, and for the little runty ones like me, it was like, well, you, I'll have him if you take those two. It was like, what? <laughs> Is that bad? The, 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 the 12, they're named. The 12, they get to spend a lot of time close to Jesus. But the 72 others, we have no idea who they are. Unnamed. The 12 have been sent on mission earlier in Luke, but this is the 72 others. This is their moment. And they're sent out in twos to 36 other places. There's lots of reasons why people think it might have been, you know, why the 72, does that really matter? Well, some people say, actually, it's kind of like the known nations of the world. And there's a sense in which for, for lots of people, they're thinking, maybe this is Luke's great commission. Essentially, this is Luke saying, it's not just apostles who get sent. It's all who follow. It's not just the known ones. It's all of us. It's not just the stars. It's the anonymous ones. And where do you get sent? To 36 places. And you're sent to tell people that Jesus is coming. So what is the message? Well, look at verse 9. Jesus gives them some indication about how to go, but what's the message? What, what are you carrying within you? He says, when, verse 8, when you entered a town and you're welcomed, eat what's set before you, heal those there who are ill, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That is actually the message. It's kind of like, you read through that long passage and you go, is that it? In fact, it's intriguing, and we'll, this will be dealt with next week. But Jesus gives more uh, instruction about how to go and what to do when you're there in terms of where do you stay and what do you do about the food that's given to you and what do you do about clothing that you need. He gives far more instructions about the how to go than he does about what to do when you're there. The two things, Jesus says, when you're there, the two things you're called to do are to heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. I want to deal with them in reverse order. What does it mean to actually say, what do you think they were doing when they go and they say, the kingdom of God has come near to you? Well, I'm not sure this means something kind of mystical in the air. I think, actually, the kingdom of God coming near to them was, it's here. I'm here. And in us being with you, we're actually a symbol of the kingdom of God, God's reign. 
God's way of doing stuff. That we, in, as they go in twos, we are the sign that God's still at work here. So when it says the kingdom of God is near, not that some, you know, not something in the heavenlies like that, not something sort of like spiritual, but actually we represent it. When I chat to people about their experience of being at work or being in families, people will say this sort of stuff to me sometimes. They'll say, I don't know if I'm really used by God very much, but, and, and sometimes you've got to really push people because nobody likes blowing their own trumpet. And those that do, you don't want to listen to them. Um, but, the, the, so, but you push them a little further. You say, well, actually, how do you think God might be using you? And they say things like this. I don't know, but it feels like sometimes I'm the one in the office or I'm the one in the playground or I'm the one in my neighborhood that everybody comes to and they tell me their issues. And it feels like I'm the one that they come to. I don't know why they do. I've not got a little badge that says, tell me everything about you. I'm really interested. But it's just that they seem to think that I'm a safe pair of hands. I wonder whether that's kind of like the equivalent of the kingdom of God's drawn near. What is it about those people that make them feel, actually, I could trust this person? Well, might we suggest that you're not a very trustworthy person, you're not a very open person, you're not a very kind person, you're not a very loving person who then becomes a Christian and therefore can do that. That may or may not be true. But actually, in becoming a Christian, what God is doing by his spirit is shaping you in a certain way that can be used by him. Do you understand what I mean? And therefore, in the context we're in, if one of the things that the Spirit is doing is the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, then actually in the context you're in, if you have been walking with Jesus for decades, the bottom line is you should be more patient than you were decades ago. Because actually what the Spirit wants to do is to enable you to grow in patience. And some of you are going, oh, flip. Well, that's because you were very impatient years ago. It's, it's, it's all relative. <laughs> but the work of the Spirit is enabling you to be these safe pair of hands. And the second thing he says, heal those who are ill. Now, I'll tell you what, most of us would want to sit down with him at that point and go, can you just go through that a little bit more slowly? Because this just seems like impossible. So what does that look like? Well, two things at least. One is get involved with the difficult situations. Don't be shy of getting involved in the, situa in the difficult situations, the most difficult situations. And secondly, get involved in a way that says, actually, I don't, I don't know how to do this, but I know a God who does. You carry something with you, and one of the things you carry with you is a faith in a God who gets involved in the hopeless situations. And maybe increasingly in our world, this idea, um, 
And I think it's the sort of thing that we ought to be increasingly known for is, what are you really about? Well, we're a people who pray. What's our core business? We're a people who pray. What are we really known for? We're a people who love, we're a people who serve, but actually we're a people. Our only resource, our only fuel is that we know how to pray. Yesterday I was listening to someone talk about their work with street pastors. You know, they, uh, street, pastors, uh, street pastors are people who go out onto uh, town centers and what have you uh, at 10 o'clock on a Friday night um, armed with, <laughs> this, was, this was yesterday, armed with lollipops and flip-flops. And a big jacket that says, in their case, it was Street Angel. And the woman was no more, she was no taller than five foot two. And, um, but she goes out uh, on the streets. And uh, she was telling us that the, the work of Street Angels in her part of the world, one of the things that they do is they get involved to ensure that people get home safe. They don't get uh, disconnected from people. They're not, uh, they're not in harm. Um, and she said, she said and, when, and when we can feel these, these young lads are going to kick off, she said, it's our experience that if you go and offer them a lollipop, they stop fighting, <laughs> which is a brilliant picture. It's, it's like, what? <laughs> and she meant it. She did actually mean it. It was like, it's, and it reminded me of the way we deal with the dog. You just distract him with the toy. Oh, yes, okay. Um, but she said, we just go in there, and we've got no powers, and we've got no authority, but we just go there trusting God. And she said, and we get asked all the time, why do you do this stuff? Do you get paid for it? And she says, no. We explain to these young people who are out on the lash in the middle of a town center, in the middle of a Friday night. And they say, why do you do this? Do you get paid? No, we don't get paid. We just do it voluntarily. We do it because we love Jesus. And they say, well, what do you do? Well, we give out lollipops and we give out flip-flops and we pray. And she said, uh, last week, this, the weekend before, she said, one young girl, Shouted to her friends, and they pray for us. And they pray for us. And I was thinking, I wonder whether it's the first time an 18-year-old has ever been told explicitly, we're praying for you. If you've grown up in church and you've been around church for a long time, you take some stuff really for granted. I heard a phrase, and I think it sort of applies to this. You're standing in a river up to your knees in water, looking for water. <laughs> in other words, you, you just grow so used to what you've got that people will pray for you. But actually, if you've never come across people of faith before, and someone goes, I'll pray for you. Wow. Now, they may or may not believe, but that's not the issue, is it? They might just be as stunned that you believe. I was sent a letter, uh, an email this week from a woman in, uh, in America, uh, Betty Childs from Golden Hills Community Church. I thought, yeah, that sounds like America, doesn't it? <laughs> Golden Hills. Um, a few years ago, just to put into context for you, a few years ago um, at work, we made a, a, a series of small group, a small group resource called Life on the Frontline. Um, we told the story of some people in our own church. We told the story of uh, some of the work we've done with old people's homes and the fostering. And we told some other stories. And some other stories that I knew and put a little resource together. And uh, we've used it a lot through work. And it's been all over the place, including America now. But that's not the point. But it's just to give you a context of the story. 
When our Bible study group decided that our next study would be a British DVD series with a discussion workbook entitled Life on the Frontline, I wasn't impressed. I'm going to write back to Betty and say, we feel the same about American products. <laughs> it's good to know that racism works both ways, isn't it? We'd studied several books on evangelism, and I was ready for something a little different. During the first week of the study, we were given a map covering the city we represented, and we were asked to mark every place that we frequently visited, but we couldn't include our church or places where we had Christian activities. That assignment was challenging for me because I'm retired. Everyone else in our group was employed or attending classes, which gave them an excellent place to start their challenge. The goal was to be intentional about our surroundings and everyone we met. This could mean anyone, from the person that checks us out at the grocery store to the postman that delivers our mail. The main concept that was everyone should have the privilege of knowing Jesus as their savior. And each one of us should be obedient to God's will by reaching out to others with the good news of Jesus. As I looked at the map, the place that I frequently visited was my gym. I'd been attending an exercise class with about 20 people for a couple of years. I knew a few of the ladies, but it was strictly gym relationships. I think I know what she means by that. You know, have you finished? Um, is that your sweat? Um, our small group started to get energized and enthusiastic after the first sessions, few sessions and the group discussions. They were talking about what happened at the FedEx office at work and in the neighborhood. I became aware and expectant of what could happen at the gym. It wasn't long before one of the ladies shared with me that she was worried about her daughter. I told her that when I have the tendency to worry about my daughter, I pray for her. I offered to pray with her for her daughter, and she agreed. A few days later, she told me that her daughter could have been in danger, and she felt that because we prayed, she was protected. protected. I immediately wanted to thank God for answered prayer. I walked the lady to a car where we prayed and thanked God for protecting her daughter. I asked my new friend if she'd ever invited Jesus into her life. She hadn't. I asked if she'd like to invite him now. I told her he'd always be with her, and he'd always hear her prayers. I was amazed when she said yes. She would like to pray and ask God's son, Jesus, into her life. We prayed right there by her car on a beautiful summer day. Soon after that, my church was having a ladies' event with desserts and a speaker. I invited my friend to attend. I also invited another lady from the gym who didn't attend church, and she asked if she could invite her friend. The three of them attend the ladies' event with me. I also invited them to attend a ladies' Bible study at church, which they all attended. I praise God for the opportunity he gave me to reach out to those ladies. If it hadn't been for the challenge, I might have missed one of the most exhilarating experiences of my life. Words couldn't be adequate enough to express how it felt to completely trust God and allow him to work through me to reach those dear ones for him. Now, some of you are going, America. It's different in America. But I don't know. I want to just very quickly. I, I, I was quite touched by this, but I was... Um, I was intrigued by the story. Number one, how does this begin? One woman goes, I don't know where I have any context in which I can serve God in mission. But she goes to the gym. She becomes aware and expectant. One of the women there says, I'm, I'm worried about my daughter. And Betty says, actually, when I'm worried, the only resource I've got is I pray. So you're not telling someone a message or a stuff to believe. You're just saying, the resource I have is this.
That's the first thing. The second step is a vulnerable step. When you say, can I pray for you? That's the first moment of feeling vulnerable. Because they might reject you. But that's okay. And they said yes. So she goes on, prays for her, and off they go. Woman comes back, says, actually, my daughter is in a much better place. The second vulnerable moment is where Betty says to the woman, can we thank God together? That's a vulnerable moment, isn't it? And the third vulnerable moment is when you say, do you want to know about this Jesus? Because you might, at any point, this woman might actually say to Betty, you're a nutcase. But Betty knows, actually, I've got nothing to lose at any of these points. And then the invitation to come into a church context to meet other people who share that faith. Sometimes we, we fear this idea of getting involved and actually sharing the only resource we have. We fear because some of us sometimes wonder, well, what if God doesn't do it? So we try and defend God by not getting involved. Our defense of God is let's not mention it, just in case it doesn't happen. Whereas actually, just the vulnerability of saying, well, actually, the only way I know how to deal this, with this is I pray. And the truth is, they might reject you. But if they were a friend before, and now they reject you, they didn't really know you very well. Because they didn't know you prayed. And if they weren't a friend before, and they reject you because they know you are prayed, they would never become a friend anyway. So actually, you've not lost much. But I'm intrigued by this way of mission. What is the way of mission? It's not about feeling powerful and strong and in control of everything. It's actually walking into situations and going, I don't know how I will respond to this, but in your presence, the way you are, the kingdom of God comes near. Almost before you say anything. Now, there is a moment where you've got to explain, and we'll talk about that at another time. But actually, the other thing is, and I'll get involved with the difficult cases, the impossible cases, and I'll do it in the only way I know how, which is through prayer. <laughs> There's been lots of work done recently on uh, effective evangelism. Uh, they've done it with the Church of England, they've done it with the Evangelical Alliance, they've done it on a really big scale and they're trying to work out um, what, what, what is effective when you're doing mission. And, um, and they've done this work, I think I may have said this some, to some of you before, but they've done it by asking non-Christians as well as Christians, which is interesting. So in other words, they're actually asking non-Christians, you, have you ever been, you know, has anybody ever tried to share faith with you and what was the experience like? And non-Christians say, on the whole, it was awful. Except when they offer to pray for us. In other words, when you're in a context and you're trying to argue your faith, most people go, they're not respecting me anymore. They're not listening. But actually when you go in and say, 
I don't know how to deal with this situation either, but I can offer to, I can offer to pray. Then the non-Christians who've been asked say, that helps. Now, there is a moment, as I said, to talk about faith, and we'll talk about that again. But actually, at this point, it's just that idea of the one thing is, are you willing enough to take the risk of being sent as the unnamed to the anonymous places with the step of faith that says, I'll share the only thing I know. I've got nothing else to share. The only thing I know. And there's not one of us in the room that wouldn't feel stupid. But the only thing that dies is pride. And that's the thing you're trying to put to death anyway. Don't want to make a big deal of it. And uh, certainly don't want to milk it. But um, I do think there's a moment where you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act more boldly and more courageously than I've yet done. I'm going to find uh, my own vocabulary, the only, my way of saying, this is what I can offer you. And for some of you, it'll be a first step of saying, can I pray? For some of you, it'll, the next step will be, because you already could probably say, I'll pray for you, but that, what that means is I'll pray elsewhere. But the next step is, do you mind if I pray with you? And if it's appropriate, it's not always appropriate, you know that, but if it's appropriate to do it there and then. And that takes a little bit more of a vulnerable step. And for some of you that already do that, the next step is to say, can I tell you about this Jesus that I'm praying to? Do you want to know him? Jesus looked at a world that was under pressure from the Romans and that was anxious with the Jewish authorities. And he said, I can see that the harvest is ready. I wonder what he would say today. But if you're ready to want to say, actually, I want to just take more steps of boldness. I want to do this stuff. I don't want to just hear about it. I want to do it. I want to take the, you know, I want my story to be like, in my context, Betty's story. Then I'm going to ask, as the band begins to play, that you might just stand. And we're going to pray for you. It's not a big extended moment, but if you go, actually, yeah, I've got nothing to lose. But Christ has everything to gain then let's stand and we'll pray together. If you sit, that's okay. It might not be today's moment, or it might be that actually you think, no, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm okay about this. But if you stand, you go, actually, no, I sense that I need to just become a little bolder than I've been. So maybe the band can play just gently. And uh, in a moment or two, Hannah will lead us in singing but if you want us to pray for you just where you are then just stand and we'll pray
particularly if you're standing, just open your arms up as though you would want to receive. Because God just wants to pour out His Spirit, the Spirit of mission, the Spirit who empowers, the Spirit who equips. Some of you might even want to just put your hand on your lips and go, it's this, it's this mouth. It just needs to both be cleansed, but also it needs to be used. Lord, use my lips to speak. Lord, as we stand together, Lord, may we be a people who are not afraid. Lord, guard us from the comfort of faith, whereby faith becomes merely private and finds it very difficult to make sense of it publicly. Lord, guard us from faith that is simply internal and it's all about ourselves and we hope one day we will be ready and that day never comes. Lord, take us people who barely understand sometimes what's happening, people who are unnamed, unknown, in unknown places. And Lord, may you make us bold for you. Take our foolishness, take our lack of wisdom, and do what we can't do. And Lord, when we face the impossible situations, Lord, may we, with gentleness but with faith, share with people the only resource we have which is coming back to you again. Help us not to be cheesy. Help us not to be forceful. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to be bold. Help us to be expectant and faithful. And Lord, may you go ahead of us and do what we can't do. Lord, we stand because today we want to take a step forward. Holy Spirit, come and fill us again, we pray. The Spirit of mission, the Spirit who releases, the Spirit who does immeasurably more than we could imagine. Holy Spirit, come, we pray in the name of Jesus.